I am so excited to be with you today. I absolutely love God. I love Jesus, and I love you. And many of you I perhaps have not met personally, but I absolutely love you. And I'm grateful that the Lord called me into the gospel ministry to preach the word of God. So important to me, so uh, extremely important to me that I am able to preach and, and to preach the word of God in an unadulterated sense. So I want to continue what I began this past Sunday on uh, if you want to be great. So this is if you want to be great part two, and I want to emphasize child likeness. The, uh, the kingdom of God is totally different there, uh, than the world. This world system is diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God. It's 180 degrees off. Uh, or, or opposite uh, than the kingdom of God. But as believers, we have grown up in this world and we have been a part of the world system. And a lot of times, or, uh, or perhaps even all the time, the world system has had a grip on us. It's, it's been a part of us. It's a part of the way we think. And what God is doing is removing that from us. God wants a, a severe divorce from that world system in your thinking and in your daily comportment. I do want to say that uh, I feel like Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel uh, was a watchman, and I feel like I'm a watchman on the wall, as was Ezekiel. I must give warning as to what I see and what I know by the Spirit, just as Ezekiel. So my message is a spiritual message. It is spiritual, and it is directed to the church and not to political operatives. So I'm not speaking to politics or the political operatives. I'm speaking to God's people. So this message is also a kingdom message that recognizes various political aspects and, and elements um, that have infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. So we cannot, as watchmen, let it go and just we sing nice little Zion songs and we just ignore uh, the, a reality, a reality that is damaging us, that is hurting us severely. And so I believe that these things must be addressed, but not because I have a personal agenda. I do not have a personal agenda. I have absolutely no personal agenda, but I do have an agenda, and that is the one that the Holy Spirit gives, the one that God gives. And so I think that the things that are going on in the world that affect the church um, uh, must be addressed, but not in a political uh, fashion, but using a kingdom framework. So everything I say, everything that I desire to say is using a kingdom framework. So my subject is broad enough to contain elements of politics without being political in any fashion. And it is specific enough to uh, be about Jesus and his purpose for the ecclesia or the church. So it is specific enough to address the church, the called out ones. So that's, I want to say that as a way of explanation as we deal with sensitive top topics or subjects. Let's get started. Today I'm going to be sharing in Matthew chapter 20, ver uh, starting in verse 20, these are the scriptures that I use. This is my text for uh, these messages 
on if you want to be great. And so I'm going to reiterate some things that I have iterated before. I'm going to reiterate them. And don't, don't uh, turn off your device. And don't say, well, I heard it once. As human beings, we need to hear things over and over and over and over. I can remember as a child, my father telling me the same things over and over until one day he says, I'm not going to tell you anymore. And I knew th what that meant. That meant judgment was coming, right, if I didn't get it. But I say this jokingly, but I do say this very seriously. For all of the viewers here, judgment is coming. Actually, we are already in a type of judgment where God is revealing who we are. And now that's very serious. God is revealing who we are. It's like the story about the emperor with no clothes. And so until some uh, child says, the emperor doesn't have on any clothes. And so I am that child, as it were, who is saying the emperor has no clothes. I'm here to say that the church is in a difficult place and many don't know it. Clapping our hands, singing, lifting our hands to God but still not knowing that we are in a terrible place, a place that God doesn't want us to stand in. Uh, here in this particular chapter, the scripture reads in verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him, came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Now, it's very interesting. She was asking, but she was asking, asking in ignorance. She did not know what she was asking. Jesus said to her, I am so glad that Jesus is a straight talker. He says, you do not know what you ask. And then he looked at the two sons, James and John. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, we are able. Uh, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. So Jesus is saying, what you didn't ask, I'm going to give you. You're going to drink the cup. You're going to drink the cup of suffering. You're going to experience death for, the name, for my name's sake. And you are going to be baptized with the same spirit, the Holy Spirit that I am baptized with. Now, I love this because Jesus gives them what they need. And in this audience today, perhaps you're there and you wonder, why is the pastor preaching this? You know, for 34 years, you know how I have preached for 34 years. And now I am, I am being expanded by God. I, the, Jesus has expanded my ministry in that now I am understanding that that preaching Jesus is now being expanded and because God is reaching in, as it were, taking his people out from that world system, totally out, and some are fighting him, right? Yeah, fighting him. When you rescue a drowning person, you can sometimes, or maybe all, time, all the time, expect to be fought. And you have to know how to deal with fighting people when your job is rescuing, and my job is rescuing. So let, let's look at this. Jesus said, um, yes, you will indeed be, uh, drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared, prepared by my Father. Now, 
Now, now, Jesus gave them some very good words. I'm sure they got off their knees and went back having been spanked. But, but the, when the 10 heard it in verse 24, they were greatly displeased. They were, they were really upset uh, with the two brothers. And as I said before, uh, probably because they wish they had thought about it. <laughs> uh, and, but James and John had a, a wrong-headedness. So, so often I find good-hearted people but bad heads. But I've never found uh, bad-hearted people with good heads. But, I, but here, uh, sometimes as believers, we can be wrongly positioned. James and John was wrongly positioned, and correction needed to be brought to them. Correction needed to be brought to them. And I am saying today, as a pastor, as a preacher of God, as a prophet of God in, in this particular case, is that God is bringing correction now to the body. How many of you out there in our audience, uh, as you were growing up, that your father, your mother brought correction to you? I know some of you only got nice words, but in my house, uh, when nice words did not work, there was something else. Uh, yes, there was something else, and, and I got that spanking. Well, you too, you too, need a spanking when you don't do what God says. And so God will send a spanking word for you. All right? Uh, now, I hope, I hope you love me. Let's look at verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself. So he didn't only call John and James because John and James showed that they were wrongly positioned attitudinally. Uh, they wanted to lord it over their brothers. Wow. And so now, and the brothers were very strongly against James and John. And can you imagine there was a fighting inside, inside the, the discipleship group there? And so he says, he brought them over and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So they are big bosses. And he says, and th those who are great exercise authority over them. Now that is a mentality that the church has in many regards. We have that gentilic uh, view of things, and God is removing it from us. You don't have to feel condemned that you have it, but just be glad that God is removing it from you. Amen. And he says, yet it shall not be so among you. So the Gentiles, when their, their rulers lord it over them, they exercise authority over them, they suppress them, they oppress them. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. Because oof, the, the, the kingdom of God is the polar opposite to the kingdoms of this world. The, the, the kingdom of God is what we call the antithesis. Yeah, that's what it is, 180 degrees different than the world. Now, now notice, I'm so excited about this message. Uh, and then notice he said, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you. Now, so don't say to me, well, I don't want to be great. You ought to want to be great for God. You ought to want to be great for God. I want to be great for God. I have had wrongheadedness about it, and I told you I wanted to be like Smith Wigglesworth. I wanted to do great things for God, seeing people healed, get out of wheelchairs, broken bones restored, dead people coming alive. I was just going to go out and wreak havoc. That's what that would have happened. That's what would have happened. He says, but we all should want to be great. He says, now, if you want to be great, and every Christian in my audience should say, I want to be great for God. I want to be great so that I will exemplify who God is. I want to be great so that I can draw people to the greatness of God, our Father, and Jesus, our Lord and Savior. 
He says, if you want to be great, let him be your servant. Uh, let him be the attendant. Let him be somebody, as it were, who waits tables. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but oh, I didn't come to be waited on. I didn't come to be, be, be doted on, but I, but I came to serve. He said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, you and I must also come as servants. I'm saying to the church, I'm speaking to the church, I'm not speaking to the world, I'm speaking to every one of you says, you are a born-again believer, then you should be a servant. You should act as they were, even in a, menial, in a fashion menially, that you are like a slave. You are just doing what God wants, doing what God wants with no thought for yourself. But that's not the church. I, the visible church that I see. It may be the one that you see, but you must be in another hemisphere because in this hemisphere, I don't see that. And Jesus says not only did he come uh, to serve, not to be served, uh, but, uh, but also to give his life as a ransom for many. So every one of us who wants to be great must not only serve and have the mentality of a slave, I'll do it with what my master says, but also to give your life to it. I have determined to give my life to the gospel. Wherever the gospel takes me, I go. And it doesn't matter whether it is safe or unsafe. When the Holy Spirit starts to go, I go. And sometimes people say, you've got you to use your head now. I am using my head. My head is informed by my heart. All right. Now, now listen, let me hurry because I'm getting so excited here. I do want to say one more time that... Jesus contrasts the world's view of greatness and God's view. I want you to leave this message today knowing that you cannot be great in the kingdom of God. You cannot be considered a great person. You cannot be considered that in any fashion if you have this worldly mentality. And I'm offering you today that many believers have a worldly mentality while they're going to church. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, we will look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. The scripture reads, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest? They wanted to know. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly I say to you, this is amazing. Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus brought a little child in the midst of these great apostles and said, you have to be like one of these if you, or you cannot in any wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, he says, um, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Polar opposite of the world, being like a child. But you know what? Even in the church, we despise people who are childlike in their faith, childlike in their love, childlike in mercy, childlike in trust. We look down upon them. They're not sophisticated. We esteem the sophisticated, but we look down on the childlike. And this is what we're doing. We're exalting the world right in the church and, and despising the kingdom. This is, a, this is real, real time. 
This is real time for all of us, brothers and sisters. And so God has called me for this hour. And I must be faithful to what God has called me to, not faithful to public opinion or church opinion. All right? And so verse 4 says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So when you and I receive those who are humble among us, those who don't seem to have anything among us, Jesus says, you're receiving me. But how many of us do that? We go to the best dressed, to those who may be able to help us in a general sense. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19. Because Jesus is elevating childlikeness. So if you, want, if you want to go to heaven and you don't like childlikeness, you don't want to go to heaven. <laughs> if you despise the things that God esteems, you'll be miserable in heaven. So we have to take you, have you, you have to go to where you'll be happy. Come on, believers. This thing is riding on us. We are the church of the living God. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's who we are by definition of Jesus Christ himself. We've got to get this thing right. And I'm very serious about it. When we, we first started the ministry uh, 34 years ago, um, uh, I used to talk about I would like for God to assemble with me people I can ride the river with. That means people who are trustable when things get difficult. I said, I want you to give me people who I can ride the river with. It's old cowboy expression. And I have a picture in my office of these cowboys riding the river because the river was the dangerous part. And I'm offering to you today that we are living in the dangerous part right now. This is the dangerous part. Yeah, this is, the thing. This is the, one of the most dangerous hours, if not the most dangerous hour that we have seen in a great long time as, as Christians. Okay, in, ver in Matthew 19, verse 13, he says, then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. Now, uh, you know, Jesus is, is amazing. And if I had a child, if I were living in that day, I would want Jesus to touch my child. I, I'm not living in that day, that day and I, it has been my life's mission for Jesus to touch my children. Amen. Come on. And he, they brought him, but the disciples rebuked them. The disciples still, I love the way God doesn't hide this, these things, because the disciples still were wrong-headed. They were wrong-headed. They wanted Jesus for, for uh, the big shot or how, what they thought he should be. And so, but Jesus, but the disciples rebuked the people. Verse 14 said, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me. I don't think Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. No, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He says, heaven is filled with people like these, innocent people, loving and trusting, because in heaven we have no predators. And, but God wants that demonstrated, not just in heaven, beloved. He wants that demonstrated here on the earth where there's all kinds of craziness, venom, and predatory behavior by men and women who even call themselves Christian. And certainly, and certainly, and I say it unapologetically, and certainly by a great number of our leaders. But we cozy up to him, to them, currying favor. How dare the church go to the world and say, help me. Amen. You got a God who will help you. Amen. 
I'm not, I don't say this to boast, but I say it because it's, a, it's the truth. When we started the ministry, before we started the ministry, I said, Lord, I don't know if I want to be a pastor or not. And he was calling me to preach the gospel. I said, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Because I don't want to be one of these persons who, talk, who talks about how big his God is, but asking the world. I said, I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be that kind of person. I'll go to the church, not only our expression here, but the church in, at large. I will go to the church, but I'll never go to the world. And I've never in, in all of my ministry gone to the world and asked them for one red cent. Now, if they want to give, they can give because that means they're not far from the kingdom, but it won't be because I asked. I believe our God is a great God. Now, Jesus, the Bible says, we go back to the, the scripture, he says, he laid his hands on them and departed from there. And so, uh, so it's very important that we understand Jesus, who he is. He loves the children, and he wants us to be converted and, and be as little children in, in malice. He wants us to not hate each other, not hold grudges against each other, but to love each other, to embrace each other, to forgive. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, in 1420, he tells us, do not be, uh, brethren, do not be children in understanding. So he, he, he explains that. God, Jesus is not saying you want, he wants you to have the mentality in the sense of um, uh, uh, you have the, the thoughts of a child in business or in serious matters, but he wants you to be a, uh, a mature um, in understanding. But in malice, he wants you to be babes. But he wants you to be mature in understanding. He wants you to have uh, a, 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 the mind of Christ in all of your business dealings. But in malice, be like a baby. Be quick to forgive. In Matthew 23, uh, 11, Matthew 23, 11, um, uh, verse 11, verses 11 and 12, um, Jesus says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And I, I, I love the servant. I do have men who help me out, you know, I'm getting a little older now, and, and uh, they don't say it, but, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they, they look concerned for me, and they do help me out, but uh, I, I, I love that fact, I mean, and so that's all, all right, but I don't demand it, I don't demand it at all, uh, you'll see me carrying my attache, you'll see me uh, doing everything for myself, because I don't think I deserve even those men who help me. I do not think I deserve it. I don't feel like I have earned it. It's not my divine right. And that attitude is alien to the kingdom of God. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Men and women with a childlike nature and attitude will be exalted in the church, will be exalted in the kingdom of God. So when we get to heaven, we, those who have demonstrated a childlike attitude uh, will be the exalted ones. That's, that's what the Scripture says. Yes, that's what the Scripture says. Now, in 1 John, let's go to 1 John. Uh, I would like to look at chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. 1 John, chapter 2, 28 and 29. Uh, the Scripture reads, And now, little children, little infants, little, little, little ones, abide in him. He's speaking to the church. He's calling us little children. Because that's who we, how we're supposed to comport ourselves. Yeah, we're supposed to love each other like that, like little children. You ever seen little children sometimes getting a little scuffle on the playground, and some one of them might hit the other or push the other, and in a minute they're saying, I'm sorry. 
And they said, that's all right. Have you seen that? If you haven't seen that, you need to get out. You need to go out, you know, just put on your mask and go out. You know, you know that's how they comport themselves. And, and the Bible is saying, that, uh, John is saying this about us. He says, and now little children, uh, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so what John is saying is that if you abide in him, when, when that trumpet sounds, you won't be ashamed. You won't be running and say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No, you will be confident. Hallelujah. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So we're talking to the church, and you and I must be righteous. Now look at this. And John uh, 1, uh, John, uh, 1 John, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 3, b- verses 1 through 3, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Now he, he's saying that, John is saying, this is infinite love that God has given to us, that we should be called children produced by God, that is engendered, brought forth by God, born ones of God. He said, this is love that we are called born ones of God. There are angels who have never sinned, and they are not born ones of God. But you were born ones of God. And there, God expects more from us than what we have been given giving. He expects more from us. In this hour of division and controversy, you should not be in the middle of the mess. But too many of us are. Too many of us are defending the world against the church. Shame. If I do it, it's a shame. If you do it, it's a shame. I'm saying that's not our mission. Our mission is to glorify God through Jesus Christ and to let everybody know there is a better way. I've heard people uh, more vehemently support crazy stuff that's going on in the world. Crazy stuff that's going on in the world. Somebody said, well, you ought to talk about both sides. I'm not talking about either side. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm honestly not talking about either side. Because if I talk about the sides, I have become political. I'm just preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter what side you're standing on. If you're on that side or that side and you're not on God's side, you're wrong. It doesn't matter what letter of the alphabet is beside your name when you go to vote. You're wrong if you're not there for God's purposes. And you can't tell God what his purposes are. So I'm strong at that. Give me a few more minutes to finish my message, if you will, or to get close to the end. All right? You and I are born ones of God. So John says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. It did not know Jesus. The world is not supposed to have an affinity with you, affinity with you. The world is not supposed to, like, know you. It is a very bad sign when the world knows us. I'm speaking intimately. It seems that the world knows exactly how to manipulate and maneuver us into any position it wants us in. And if the world can do that, then it means that we must not belong to God. If the world can manipulate us into its position and to do its work, that's a a big issue. And I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to people who love Jesus. I'm saying if you've been doing that, you need to quit it. I quit it a long time ago. And then the first time I quit it is when God had me to vote against my earthly interest. Wow. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. It has not yet been revealed, he said at that time. But I'm offering you, it is being revealed. It is, in this hour, 
who we are is being revealed, and it is, it's being revealed by the attitudes we have, by the anger we display, and the, the stuff we write. In many ways, it's being revealed. And so it's, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so when Jesus is magnified in a church, he is being revealed there. He is being revealed, and then we are like the Scripture says Jesus is. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Now, this is speaking of what we call eschatological uh, uh, seeing of Jesus. That is, when he comes through the clouds. He says, if we have the expectation of seeing him, then we are going to purify ourselves. That is, get rid of our personal agendas. Just as he is pure. See, this is a time of revealing. Uh, I'm going to... Um, let me just say a couple of things, and then, uh, then I think I, I will really be done. Which one of us is the greatest was often a discussed topic among the disciples. Which one of us is going to be the greatest? Maybe Peter walking on the water and being on the mountaintop with the Lord, paying his taxes by catching a fish and taking money out of his mouth, receiving a direct revelation from God the Father as to the identity of Jesus. Maybe they start to think, who's going to be the greatest? Jesus had been sharing with his disciples about his suffering, and death was not on their minds. And we're like that too. Death was not on their mind. It was who would be the greatest. They were thinking only of themselves and what positions they would have in his kingdom. But many Christians today are thinking of themselves and what positions they'll have on the earth. The selfishness and the disunity of God's people, the selfishness and the disunity of God's people is a shame to the Christian faith. I said the self selfishness and the disunity of God's people is an embarrassment. It's a shame to the Christian faith. We are not comporting ourselves like Jesus wants us to. What causes these kinds of problems? Thinking of ourselves, thinking that we are more important than we really are, being prideful, being arrogant. When Christians are living for themselves and not for others, there's always going to be conflict and division. Doesn't matter where it is. Doesn't matter where it is. I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll, I want to pray for you in, a, in just a second, but last week when I, on Sunday, or it's actually this week on Sunday, I used a statement, make America great again. And I knew it was a lightning rod statement, and I wanted to extract it from my message, and the Holy Spirit would not let me. God would not let me do that. Because I'm always thinking about you and how you might feel and, and what's going on. But this is what I vow to do. I vow to trust Jesus. Making America great again, as I said earlier, America was great when she served, even though we had warts. We've always had warts. I know everybody said, we were, we were a Christian nation. Well, we were a nation of, of many Christians, but we, I don't think we've ever been a Christian nation, and I hope you don't hate me for that. We had a lot of warts in the beginning, but God honored us. Maybe we were like babes trying to do the right thing, and he honored us. 
And a nation be, uh, this nation became the greatest nation on earth, serving, serving, even with her warts. Now don't say, well, I can serve with my warts then. You gotta get rid of your warts. You gotta give yourself totally to the Lord. The Holy Spirit has come. But God made us great by serving. And now we wanna become great by not serving? That's like Paul asked the Galatians, what are you doing? You begun in the spirit, now you're gonna end up in the flesh? When you came to Jesus, it was a spiritual renewal. It was not something of the flesh. And now we're going to go back now to serving idols. That's wrong, brothers and sisters. So I want to just say to you that let's deal with those attitudes. Uh, I was, we, we served a lot. I was a, a friend of ours from Germany when we, in our days of serving. said the first orange she had ever eaten in her life an American soldier gave it to her, and she, she can't f forget that. It was the first orange she's ever had. We were serving, and people used to love to see us coming. It's like my wife says, when you come, uh, do people see help coming, or do they say, help, he's coming? And I want to say to you today, with the church, we are given, we've given the church a bad name, believers. We've given the church a bad name, and thus, people don't even want God because of our conduct. That's shameful. I will not be a part of that. I would not be a part of that. What we want to do is love Jesus with all of our heart. Wow. So, I'm going to be done today, but, but if you're in that audience and, and you have not received Christ, I want you to just tell Jesus you, you love him and you want to receive him today. I mean, you can do that. We don't have to do all the formalities, but just confess him with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I believe it with all of my heart that God raised him from the dead. He says, if you'll believe that, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And you can be saved from your sin. You can be saved from this, this perverse world where evil men are growing worse and worse. You'll be saved. So if you do that, you're saved. I'll come back shortly. <laughs>